So, hey, we're, um, we've been running through the book of Acts, right? If you're new here uh, and, you, and you didn't know that, we've been, much of this year is going to be spent uh, going through the book of Acts. We're going to take some breaks along the way, but we've uh, c- come through the first two chapters, uh, and it's been great. We've, we've seen uh, some incredible uh, things that were happening there in the early church. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 3, so you may want to get that ready in your Bible. And I want to be really clear, I, I feel like if you've, if, if you've ever read the book of Acts or if you've been with us, this early, early part of the book of Acts, there is some exciting things happening. I mean, the Holy Spirit comes powerfully and there's big things happening. So you could sense that there's just momentum and enthusiasm and excitement that's happening in Jerusalem about what God's, with, with some people, obviously with the, the people that have come to faith in Jesus at least, there was, there's a lot of of excitement about what's happening. And I don't want in any way to try to equate First Baptist Hanford with the Acts chapter 2 church, except for the fact that we're just excited about what God's doing. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're new here, man, we're, we're glad that you are joining us, but we're just excited about what God's doing. We've, and, and, and we want to be clear, like Melissa mentioned uh, the, the prayer event next Sunday night, and, and we've got Ladies praying at 10 o'clock on Tuesday mornings. We've got whoever wants to come and pray with us on Thursday mornings at 11.15 once a month uh, on Sunday night. Uh, we're coming together to pray. And I want to be clear. I think one of the things that we can run into when we start talking about prayer is it's that we use prayer to kind of validate what maybe God, what we think we're already doing. Like, hey, God bless this thing that we're doing. And I want to be clear that what we're trying to do here is not that but say, God, what is it that you want for us to do? Holy Spirit, lead us. We want to be in step with what you're doing. Guide and direct the ministry here. And to me, that's fundamentally different than just saying, hey, God, bless my thoughts or bless what I'm trying to do. And so I'm excited about what God's doing. So in that sense, I feel like there's a movement here of what God's wanting to do here. And it's, you're in a good place to be able to join in with what what God's uh, trying to do. So let's take a minute. Let's open the book of Acts to chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you uh, to open it up there. If it's on your phone, open up uh, to that. We will be jumping around to a couple other verses as well. But uh, let's look at Acts 3. Here's what it says. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. 
When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord, God, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from his people, from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So thus far in the book of Acts, we need, to, we need to recognize what's going on here. If you remember when we started this, in the first chapter, there's a, there's a verse. And if you want to flip back a couple chapters, go to chapter 1, verse 8. And that's kind of the central kind of capstone verse for the book of Acts. And it, Jesus is speaking in Acts 1, 8. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So what we're seeing really work out here early on in the book is exactly what Jesus promised. The Holy Spirit has come with power. The disciples have incredible uh, power to witness. And now the witness is happening in Jerusalem. And we're gonna, as we walk through the book of Acts, we're going to see that it begins to go just like Jesus said. It's going to be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost, uttermost parts of the earth. This is the plan that God has established. And so as we look here in chapter 3, we're going to see in a real practical way how this witness begins to happen in Jerusalem itself. And it's pretty clear as, as we read through that chapter that it divides into two kind of big sections. We've got this miracle healing in the first half of the chapter, and then we've got Peter's uh, sermon, if you will, uh, that's the second half of it. So we're going to kind of look at these in a little bit more detail. And we're going to start with this healing first. And so if we look at the first half of chapter 3, we're going to see this. Peter and John are on their way to the temple. It's the time of prayer. So this was a regular Jewish practice. And I, I find it interesting that even though these guys have now have a new faith, Jesus has come, there's a, there's a new thing happening, they're still holding on to some of these disciplines, some of these practices. I, I, I've got to believe that they have a different or they have a renewed sense of what this is all about. 
that as they're coming to pray, they're coming to pray to Jesus and ask God to, to continue to do what he's already doing. But they're holding on to some of these, these practices. So their new faith has not nullified any of, any of these uh, spiritual practices. They're still coming and want to be a part of prayer uh, in the temple. And so as they're approaching the temple, there's a, a, a beggar that was there, a lame man who's been there uh, for a long time. We'll touch on this in a second. Uh, and probably he was one of many people that were there because this was the pathway into the temple. One of the, the, the Jewish practices was the giving of alms to the poor. And so as people were on their way to church, they were feeling probably like you, feeling especially generous, probably like, hey, I better get my act together. I'm coming into church. If you're heading into temple as a good Jewish person, you want to get your act together on the way in. If I could give a couple bucks away, that's all good, right? So that's where these people were posting up, and this beggar was one of many. So let's look at the scene for a second. They're walking in, and they come up upon this man that was lame from birth. How long? We don't know how old this guy was, but he was a man. So he's been there, an adult. He's been there for years probably asking for handouts. And this has been his life, uh, is, just, is begging from people to, to make his way through the world. Peter and John, they're on their way to pray. We don't know why, but they focus in on this, this guy uh, and ask for his attention. In verses 3 and 4, the man responds. He thinks, okay, this is it. I'm going to get some money. This is great. Which I want to take a little bit of a sidetrack here real quick. It's interesting probably in your own uh, life you've experienced this, how often we ask God for what we want and God ends up giving us what we need. We need to make a distinction there. It's, you know, we know what we might want. God knows what we really need. I, I got to suspect this guy did not get into position expecting that this would be the day that he would be able to walk. He was hoping it would be a good day of getting money. And so I just a just good, good reminder for us, a lot of times we pray for what we want God to do and God does what's best. So that's free. I'm not even going to charge you for that. That's not even the, that's not even the sermon. So they, they, and then they, Peter and John heal this guy in the name of Jesus. This is crucial. They make a big deal of this. It's instantaneous. It's complete. He's fully healed. And we see him then get up and he's following them, walking, leaping, Praising God, I was reflecting, you know, when I was a kid in church, there was a song we used to sing. I, was, I thought about singing it for you, except here, here's what happened. Like this morning when I got here, the worship team was practicing. They were doing such a fantastic job. So I kind of wandered back into the office and I kept singing uh, the songs that they were singing. And when they're not singing with me and I'm hearing myself, it's a rude awakening of, of what it sounds like. So I'm just going to spare you that. Uh, but there was a great kid song that talked about this lame man walking and leaping and praising uh, God. So this miracle happens. He's completely transformed, uh, certainly physically, but also um, his life is definitely uh, changed. Now, Pastor Peter pointed out last week in his message, and you may want to, if you weren't here last Sunday, you may want to go back and listen to that. But he, he kind of gave a perspective on what's, what's the place of miracles, because, of course, the question is, like, why don't we see things like this happening more often, these kinds of healing events happening more often? And he kind of spoke uh, to that. Uh, and so I would encourage you to, you know, go back and listen to that. I'm going to give you a little bit more this morning. One thing from R.C. Sproul, who is a, a pastor and teacher, and, and so he's got this definition 
for a miracle. So I want you to hear this because I think it helps to maybe even uh, more tightly understand what a miracle is. So R.C. Sproul says this, a miracle is an extraordinary work by the immediate power of God in the external perceivable world against the laws of nature. I'll say that again. A miracle is an extraordinary work by the immediate power of God in the external perceivable world against the laws of nature. And so with that tight definition, you, you can see that a lot of things, for, for example, you praying for a good parking spot at the stadium when you roll into the stadium and then God providing it is not a miracle. Those things happen, all right? Uh, so I think we need to recognize, because Sproul goes on to say this, and I think this even uh, helps to, to uh, clarify it a little bit. He says, all miracles are supernatural, but not all supernatural acts are miracles. So in other words, God's doing things around us still supernaturally for sure, but they, they don't rise to this definition of, of miracle. So, and, and, and we'll see miracles throughout the Bible, but if you, if you are familiar with the Bible or you're becoming more familiar with the Bible, you may recognize that first of all, it's not like we see miracles on every page. And they do seem to be kind of clustered around particular uh, events within the Bible. For example, Moses and the children of Israel leaving Egypt and going into the, into the desert to wander for 40 years. There's miracles that happen as they leave Egypt for sure. You need to read that. Incredible how God shows up there. And even within the wandering in the desert, there are miracles that God does. Certainly when Elijah and Elisha begin the pro prophetic ministry in the Old Testament, there are miracles that you see connected with that. When Jesus shows up, clearly he was doing miracles. Uh, many that we have in the New Testament and then many others that aren't mentioned specifically, but we know that he was doing uh, miracles. And then we've seen already in the, in the book of Acts that there are miracles happening that the apostles are doing. At the end of chapter 2, uh, Pastor Peter was sharing last week, it says signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. And so they, miracles certainly are happening but as we think about it, they, they happen, I believe, at, at key moments in history. As we've just seen, there are key uh, times where God's working in, in a particular special way. And these, these miracles become part of how he is establishing uh, this work. And it actually, as Peter was talking about it last week, it kind of reminded me of a story in Luke 16. So if you want to put your finger there in Acts 3 and go back to Luke 16, there's a story that Jesus told of a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. And the rich man lived in, in luxury and Lazarus would sit at his gate and he was very poor. And at some point, both the rich man and Lazarus die. The Lazarus ends up in heaven. Um, the rich man ends up in hell. And the rich man is saying, please send Lazarus to take, you know, I, I need some comfort and here's where, here's where I want to pick up. So this is Luke 16 at verse 25. Okay, this is the rich man and Lazarus. So this is, a, uh, the rich man has asked for Lazarus to come provide some relief. Abraham replies, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us, you, uh, you and, us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, the rich man answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. 
Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And this is kind of what Peter was getting at last week, that there, are, there is this stubbornness or hardness of heart often in our life that doesn't allow us to uh, even recognize sometimes the miraculous things that God is doing. And so I think that's one of the things that, uh, that we have to keep in mind, that God is working in supernatural ways, but he's doing it where it's going to have the greatest impact and effect. And that's ultimately kind of what, what Peter was going for uh, last week. And it, it was happening, and it was happening even early on in Acts. Uh, but because of that fact, I think we have to ask a bigger question, and probably the more important question is this, why? Like, why were these things even happening? What was the purpose of miracles at all? In the Old Testament with Jesus, it, here in Acts, what's the purpose? And ultimately, I would suggest the purpose is that the miracle provides authenticity. It authenticates and gives credibility to the messenger, to, to the person that's doing the miracle, whether that was Moses, Elijah and Elisha, uh, Jesus himself, and now the apostles. And it also uh, validates the message that they are proclaiming. So for us, we have to say, okay, here's what's happening in chapter 3. This miracle happens. And it would be very easy to say, well, the miracle is the central part of the chapter. And I'm going to suggest that it's the reverse, that really what is most important is what Peter has to say in response to what happens as a result of the miracle. So it would be easy to say that, that the, the miracle is central. I'm going to suggest that the message uh, that Peter proclaims is central. So let's take a, a second and look here at the, at the second part of the chapter then because uh, we want to see... Uh, what it leads uh, Peter to do. So Peter's got a, a message. And if, if you were here last week, you're going to recognize it. it's going to sound very similar here in Acts chapter 3 to what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. And I, it does tell us this. This gives us a picture of at least early on in Christian faith what, what the message was. What was the message of the gospel that was happening here right after Jesus ascended into heaven, right after his resurrection, what was happening. So we're going we're gonna to see what Peter has to say. Now, the, so there's a, there's a couple things that we, we want to point out. First of all, as the miracle happened, what does it say? That people were amazed and came running. And I want to suggest, I mean, it's much like what I would call the Taylor Swift effect. You know, we, we look, we're watching the Super Bowl last week. Big plays happen in the Super Bowl. And the first thing we want to know, of course, is what does Taylor Swift think about this? So we, we, we flash over to Taylor Swift. Is she cheering? Is she not cheering? What does Taylor think about this? So this is, you know, similar to what's happening here. There was a big event. People were coming. They want to see what's, they want to see what's happening. So they show up, and this gives uh, Peter an opportunity now to proclaim a message that's important. And here's the, here's the message. He first of all clarifies what just happened has nothing to do with, with us. He's saying, why are you staring at us? As if we did something by our own godliness or our own power. It was not us. It's the name of Jesus that made this man well. He clarifies that right off the bat. And then he jumps into uh, a message. And I just, it's right there in verses 13 through 16 of, of chapter 3. 
So if you want to go back to that, you can see it. But here's what he says about Jesus. First of all, he says, Jesus was killed unjustly. He says, you killed this man. He was the holy and righteous one, and you and your leaders killed him. It was unjust what happened to him. It was not right. He was holy. He was righteous. He did not deserve uh, the death that he suffered, and yet you sent him there. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says, but you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. The resurrection is real. The resurrection uh, gave Jesus victory over death. And then the third thing that he says is that there is power. There is power in the name and the person of Jesus. He goes on to say this in verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him. So he makes it clear in that little sermonette, those are the three big points. That's not unlike what we heard last week from Peter in Acts chapter 2. So here's the thing. As long as we think in our own life that we're going to do it in our own wisdom, in our own strength, our own ability, we're going to just white knuckle it, we're going to make it happen, I can assure you we're going to encounter frustration and setbacks. Because if we're doing it in, trying to do life and do this thing in our own power and our own strength, it's never going to lead to the peace and the hope and that the reality of Jesus brings into our life. And so we need to recognize that it's something outside of ourselves. So he goes further. He appeals further. And if you listen, if you read that again from like 7 verse 17 on, really what Peter does is he jumps into a lot of uh, things that a Jewish person would connect with. He goes back to Moses. He goes back to the prophets. These are all the people that are in their holy scriptures, our Old Testament, their Bible. They're hearing this. This is, this is his attempt to make a case for who Jesus is by re referring back to people they know and trust. And so it's very Jewish in nature, which reminds us this. Where was Peter when he was doing this? He was right there in the temple. So these were Jewish people coming to worship. He knew his audience. He knew exactly who he was talking to and what they needed to hear. And it, it does remind me that when we think about our own testimony or our own opportunity to share our faith, and I think about even our ping pong balls there in the lobby, right, that, are, that we're talking about inviting people and, and, and sharing the gospel with people, um, it, it reminds us that we need to know our audience. So I'm going to touch on this a little bit uh, later, but Peter knew who he was talking to. As he's, as he's talking about uh, what God has done, he's, he's addressing uh, the, the Jewish people. And so here's what he says in, in those verses. First of all, he, he says you've got to acknowledge your own sin. Even, even if what you did was in ignorance, he says, you know, you did it in ignorance. Your leaders didn't know what they were doing. But here's what you did. And, and, it's, and it's rebellion against God's holy one. And you've sinned. So as a result of that, you need to repent. He actually doubles down on it. He says you need to repent. Turn to God. Repent means to turn. So he's basically saying, hey, listen, you've got to turn from this sinful way of living. And you've got to turn to God. This is, this is the answer to the sin that we have in our life. He goes on to say that your sins will be wiped out, this complete forgiveness that God brings into our life. And then a great phrase, man, when I read this, I just couldn't get off of it because Peter says, 
Um, so he says that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And I thought to myself, man, what an awesome phrase. Because so often when we think about salvation or we think about coming to faith, we think probably first and foremost about, well, eternal life, right? I'm, I, I want eternal life. And that's wonderful. That's a great part of, of coming to faith in Jesus. But you know what? God wants to bring something real into your life even right now. So as we walk the remainder of our days here, he wants to bring these times of refreshing, this peace, this hope, this love, this sense of purpose in our life. This is what God wants to bring into our life even as we walk this world. And then one day, obviously, we are going to be with Jesus forever. The, the eternal life part is great. But, man, let's not, let's not miss what God wants to do in our life now. So this idea of these times of refreshing uh, really stuck out to me. And it even made me think of 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. God wants to do something new in your life, in his people, uh, in this place. And then at the end of Peter's message, he says, uh, that we await then the promised coming of Jesus. That we know one day Jesus is going to return. And what does it say? What's he, what is he coming to do? He's coming to restore everything. God's plan from the very beginning when sin entered the world was a, a, a plan of redemption. Not just human beings but his whole creation. His whole creation was good and right and perfect. And when Jesus comes he's going to restore it. And so we look forward to that day of restoration that God's going to bring. So that's his, that's his sermon. That's his message to the people. So, so you may be saying to yourself, and, and rightly so, well, Jeff, that's great, but I'm not Peter. I haven't just healed a, a lame man, uh, and I don't really know the Bible all that well. So it's great for Peter, but what about me? So that's a fair question. I, I, I think it is a fair question. So I, as we wrap this up this morning, I, wanna, I want to... Uh, give you some suggestions of, of maybe an approach that you could take as you think about even sharing your faith with somebody around you. And the first part of it is going to sound very familiar because if you've been around here at all, you've heard Pastor Peter talk about oikos. But here's the reality. You're, there's no requirement of you to draw a crowd. You don't, you're not going to have to do a miracle get, to get a crowd running towards you. We believe that God has supernaturally put people into your life Right now, there are people that you know, that you have a relationship with, that you will be able to share with. So you're not going to have to worry about, how am I going to draw this big crowd? God's going to bring those people uh, into your life. And then secondly, our message is simple. Peter talks about it at the end of every sermon. It's the ABCs. It's it, the, the A is admit that I'm a sinner. Acknowledge that there's sin in my life. I'm a broken person. I've gone my own way. I've, I've rebelled against what was right. And my life is showing a lack of hope, a lack of peace. That's what sin brings into our life. We admit that we're a sinner. That B, we believe in the name of Jesus. Just like Peter talked about in this sermon this morning. It's by faith in the name of Jesus that this man was healed, that we can have a relationship with God, that we believe that Jesus is that Savior that we need. And that, see, we choose. We choose to follow him every day of our life. And that's the simple prayer that we pray. And that would be the, the prayer that we would hope 
If, you're, if you don't have a relationship with God today, that would be a, a prayer that you would pray. Now, the question is, like, is there more to it than that? Is there, is there deeper theology th than that? Certainly there is. Are there other things that you would want to know? Absolutely there are. But when we think about having a message that we can share when we're talking about the good news, that is a, a, a wonderful place uh, to start. And so when we think about that and we recognize that it's nothing that we do, this is God's work in us. Ephesians chapter 2 says we've been saved by grace through faith. It's not anything that we've done. This is something God's done in us. And, and that's the incredible story that we have. Because here's the thing. The other reason we don't need uh, a, a miracle to draw a crowd is I really truly believe that if you're a follower of Jesus today, that you've got a story to tell. You've got a miracle to share. And it's your story. It's unique to you. And they may argue with your, you know, that you don't know enough about the Bible or there's certain things that you don't know. One thing they can't argue with is the difference that God's made in your life.